Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may look like screaming and crying. I'm Adam and this is Hugh. Hello. And we're here to talk this week's news politics. Yeah, and before we start, I'd like to put out uh, just a plea. If anyone sees Mike Gapes' assistant, Richard Miller, around the streets of Ilford, he has disappeared. No one has seen him now for a day or two. Um, It's getting a bit worrying. I mean, mainly we want to put the message out there because um, we would put his picture on a milk carton. But uh, the there's no milk left. The, the, the wraparound irony would literally <laughs> kill us all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This week we're going to talk about yeah. Prince Andrew's interview. Mm-hmm. So, Prince Andrew to address uh, ongoing accusations and literal lawsuits. Yeah, um, I, did a sit down interview with the BBC on ongoing Sunday. allegations like. It's been known about Prince Andrew for a very long time. Like his nickname in the like eighties, the seventies was Randy Handy. It was it was in the eighties when he got that because yeah. he got known as the Party Prince. And like so, this 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 sit down interview it was Emily Maitlis. I think mm-hmm. he did it with, um, and she's like quite respectful and mm-hmm. like the way they always are with royals. And uh, he kind of he was clearly not operating on a script. Yeah, the, fir- the first thing is he I was clearly his, not responding. His head of PR quit because of him doing this. Yeah, no one wanted him to do this. <laughs> I thought it was quite nice of them to hold it in a, an emptied out Witherspoons as well. <laughs> it did look like a Witherspoons. <laughs> it's isn't just it? like, but it's I think so easy to nationalise that place. <laughs> it's good, yeah. But um, it was kind of weird. He's arrogant as all hell. It's that weird thing. Like he, he, uh, he does, he does things like this mm. because, and this is a thing that. Like, I've heard some people, like, in the media talk about it, but not enough. This does have a lot to do with the Queen as well. He is the Queen's favourite son. Is he really? Yeah, by quite a long shot. That's why he gets away with more. Yeah. Like, significantly more than, like, than any of the other ones. Like, Ed, like, um, like he's st- stood down now and he's, like, stepping back from, from frontline royaling. He's not taking a pay cut, though, is he? Um, probably not. Um, well, even if he did, it'd be fine because he's got those mansions and he's got lots of money coming in from other places as well. Um, <laughs> but so he's, he's taking a step back, um, and it's like he's taking a step back, so he's going to be more like um, Prince Edward. And it's like, what did Edward ever do to anybody apart from that cricket? <laughs> oh musical? yeah, your favorite royal, well, Prince yeah. Edward. He just gets put in the side. He gets put on the sidelines because you know he has to have the safety scissors, <laughs> and it's so unfair. <laughs> but like you know, he's. I don't. I, he might be actually. They all are. But um, like Prince Andrew is probably a child molester. Andrew, Andrew's the, and so he's 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 being punished by being given the same treatment as the stupid brother, the fail son, the literal fail, yeah. fail son, yeah, the original fail son of this century. <laughs> um, yeah. He has. He's the one who. Yeah, he's never going to be king. There was never mm-hmm. really any chance of him like being the monarch. But also. There was never really anything for him to do as such. I guess he wasn't the baby of the family, I suppose. Yeah. Edward is like kind of defunct Andrew in many ways. Like yeah. he's just got to follow. Like if they have to prove that they are like value for money or mm-hmm. going to work or whatever, Andrew's going to be the one to do it first and then mm-hmm. Edward's going to follow him. But like it, it, the whole thing reminded me very much of, yeah, a certain level of arrogance in thinking that he was really good mm-hmm. at interviews because he talked his way around, I don't know, several businessmen from like 
authoritarian parts of the world. And you see the that he would naturally be able to talk it round. But you see the stuff that's come out about some of those of like people who are in there with those talks of like um, one time when he was racist about the Saudi royal family in a in a meeting with Saudi royals, <laughs> um, using the N word in another one. You know what I mean? Like he. He's one of these people that has spent his whole life being treated like he's something special. And he oh, yeah. seems to think that it's because he's good at stuff rather than the oh, fact 100%. that yeah, yeah. he's an HRH. Maybe he's aware of it. Maybe he just doesn't care. Um, um, I, don't, uh, I tell you what, like, I, it did remind me of nothing more than... Um, I, I, heard, like, I watched the interview on like Monday mm-hmm. and then heard a clip... Mm-hmm later on and immediately thought of something else so it's he his responses in that mm-hmm. sound really like if you've ever seen or heard the radio series uh, why bother with it's chris morris mm-hmm. and peter cook i think it's the last thing peter cook did before he before he died and it's like an unscripted uh interview series with like his character sir arthur streep greebling yeah. with like a uh, like a more Chris Morrissey surrealist edge. Yeah. Like, listen to these two clips and you tell me if that sounds similar. Okay. But you were staying at the house of yes. a convicted sex offender. It was a convenient place to stay. There was, I mean, I mean, I've gone through this in my mind so many times. At the end of the day, um, uh, uh, with the benefit of all the hindsight that one could have, um, it was definitely the wrong thing to do. Is it not true that the reason you won't appear on television is because a crack pipe can't be hidden? It can be hidden. And um, I, I, I am willing to own up to the errors I've made. And if there's any young people listening, for goodness sake, don't spend £1,000 a day on crack because you can get it a lot cheaper than that in Leicester Square. It was it's something about the tone, like the cadence and the the bizarre claims. So the main claim that came out of this interview with Andrew was mm. he was accused of being sweaty at a party and uh, groping. Sweaty at a nightclub. Uh, a nightclub, sweaty sorry. At tramps. tramps. I, I do not. He said, "I do not know where the bar is at Tramps." Yeah. All the he... times I've been there, it's like what. But his main claim was he could not possibly have been like sweatily uh, groping this mm. woman, this girl, mm-hmm. because he has a medical condition mm-hmm. that means he could not, at that time, sweat. Yeah. He could not produce sweat. He, he attributed this to uh, the adrenaline from being shot, shot he had from being shot at during the Falklands War. Yeah. <laughs> That's... It, it's very... That's so good. I could, you couldn't come up with that in a million years. I have a medical condition that I don't have now yeah. that is disputed by doctors as to whether <laughs> it's particularly a thing, that if it didn't happen, he would be a lot sicker. Well, Sweating's quite important also, to human beings. Did you see the pictures that were getting posted like straight afterwards of numerous pictures of him coming out of numerous nightclubs like Tramps and things, places like that? Covered like dripping in sweat because he's because uh, it's not true. Also, the other thing he said is like because um, she said like he was wearing a polo shirt. And it's like well, no, because whenever I go to London, I wear a, I wear a suit. I and wear a, tie. a suit and a tie. <laughs> Who's the real villain? Exactly. It's, oh, it's is it Jeffrey Epstein or is it Prince Andrew in his suit and his tie? It was ridiculous. And like, there's the thing about the, what's it um, going to Pizza Express in Woking, um, which. 
all of this stuff's going to be found out that it's obviously not true, because unless he like didn't have his security with him when he did it, which is not he'll, likely he'll, because he also, he's really obsessed with. Security. He also said he doesn't drink. Yeah, like he hasn't like taken a drink or whatever, and it's like it's true. You know, he was known as the party prince. Mm-hmm. Party people are rarely known as drinking, but maybe he didn't drink. Pills are not a drink. <laughs> I'm just saying he was raging off his face on Molly, <laughs> down tramps. These places always have really. It's that thing of like you know I've spent like yeah I've spent the most of my life in London now, and it's still you find out the names of some of the nightclubs for the people who are definitely not us. Yeah, and it's like. Wow, you people are weird. There's a place like, like Shammy. Yeah, it was like when I found out there's a place. Chinoise. That place in, I think it's it's somewhere out West London where they've got a roof terrace with a flock of um, flamingos that have had their wings clipped. Yeah, that's vile. It's like off Piccadilly or Kensington, wasn't it? Yeah, something yeah. like that. It's like, what is this fucking country? <laughs> um, yeah, he continued to talk about his um, relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Mm-hmm. That he barely knew. That he he barely knew, despite knowing for a long time. Yeah. And then proceeded on this. Yeah, Carol. We proceeded on this convoluted story whereby he had been he had met him only about three or four times total, and yet felt comfortable that after two thousand ten, when Jeffrey Epstein was released from prison the first time for um, soliciting a minor, mm-hmm. he then went round his house and stayed there for four days. Mm-hmm. He was like, I was, I was just going in order to see if he was uh, all right and to sever ties with him. Yep. And that's why it took four days. It's like you're just lying. Yeah. And well, they, he'd done the thing of um, saying that you know he he, did, he barely knew him. <clears throat> it was more that he knew um, Galeen Maxwell, who he's known since university. Um, I think. He Can we just did... talk for a second, actually, about like just for one second, mention the fact of how wild it is that the daughter of Robert Maxwell mm-hmm. is involved in all this stuff? I really want to talk about hev- Robert Maxwell at hev- some other point, and heavily implicated in all the stuff of Epstein as well. Yeah, and, like I don't think Andrew knew that because I think there's a lot of stuff that he probably doesn't know because he doesn't pay attention, and it's like you're just implicating yourself more. <laughs> But yeah, it's weird. Like he does, there's a lot of um, stuff and straight, like before and straight after, where he thinks something is gonna happen. Like he mm. thinks the world works in a very specific way. He thinks that he can just talk his way out of all of this on a BBC interview, and that's it, and he won't have to talk about it again. And that wasn't true. He then like went to church the next day with his mum and told her that everything was fine. And then just <laughs> before he stood down. Yeah, and like said, he, or said he was not doing was, public duties. Well, announced yeah, that he yeah. was stepping back and not doing volunteer work anymore. Yeah. Um, before he did that, there was reports that he was going to do another one to get to what, like do another sexual assault. <laughs> no, to do oh, another. Oh right. Oh, to do like another um another interview <laughs> to, to to finally get it sorted out with the problems that he'd given himself. Because that's the thing, he did this all to himself, <laughs> and it's just bizarre. It's like it's a weird thing with Prince Andrew because like. One of the only places which has repeatedly mentioned him and Epstein and child sex abuse is Private Eye. But Private Eye always covers this stuff in a kind of... in a, in a public schoolboy, guffawing, kind of sniggering way about child abuse, which it always does, which I, I, like, I remember that kind of stuff from school. Yeah. When we were... Teenagers, I definitely there's that, and there's and they the fact still act that like it. It's like it's it's it rubs me up the wrong way because it's obvious it's a class thing. Again, they're just they're just yeah. sort of laughing. They're, the punchline to the joke is you know people who aren't in their social strata get treated like me. Yeah, there's the, uh. the the 
if somebody if somebody who's poor does it it is a the the person is an animal mm-hmm. or a beast mm-hmm. and if someone there does it it's just like oh it's him again yeah it was like what he said about um, FC that could acted under I reckon with with private eye as well I think it's like um they're ossified I, I I don't know what date they ossified but at some point I, I pick it up every now and again and it's still got some really good investigative journalism in it um but like yeah so much of the tone is this is the way it is and it's never going to change mm-hmm. it's very much a like uh you know the the Armando Iannucci's and the the the, the west uh, not west wing um in the loop yeah, uh, kind of stuff. things of this world that you know everybody's a shitbag, yeah. and this is the way we like it, and we're locked into certain patterns of wrongdoing with no, no potential catharsis, yeah. no potential like redemption or judgment or anything like yeah. that. You know, it's 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 very odd. I mean, he even at, at the end of the 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 thing, he there was an element of does he think this is just all gonna like continue? It's as well, if yeah. it's as if Epstein just kind of dropped dead of natural causes and like. There's only ever going to be questions now. Yeah. Like there's never going to be judgments. Yeah. Well, no, he thinks because he, he even be. at the end of the at the end of the interview he said, um, uh, "Oh, I think on balance it was better to know Epstein." Yeah. No, I mean you you don't have no one's making you say that. <laughs> no. No one is making you just say, "Oh no, I, I think it was terrible that yeah. I knew him. I knew nothing about it." Does he know? Does he not know what an innocent person looks like? <laughs> I don't think. I so. think that's maybe like the biggest takeaway. Yeah. He doesn't know what innocence looks like. He doesn't f- know how to sound innocent. One of the things I got from it was very much like, um, it's like people were saying like he obviously doesn't empathise with any of the victims. Yeah, one hundred percent. Seen it. You see it all the time with. Um, obviously, not you don't get many people of his particular class, <laughs> but of like that level. Of an inability to empathise with um, victims of a lot of crimes, but like sex abuse is one that's quite prevalent at the moment. Like yeah. people coming out, um, like the, of course Andrew wouldn't empathise with the victims because this kind of thing doesn't happen to his daughters. Yeah, his daughters, it wouldn't happen to them. There was one moment when he talked about, oh, I had uh, after Epstein mm. had been accused the first time in two thousand eight of uh, soliciting a minor, mm. he um, attended his daughter's 18th birthday party and there was no question that those daughters would be under threat from yeah. somebody who well, was a rampant is, sexual criminal well that's the thing the, because because it happens to other yeah. other girls there's, other there's, types of girls there's girls and boys who are free, who are open it's like open season on yeah and that's not people of that class and that was one of the things I took from it that was like it's like you know it already because that was like um, Jimmy Savile's targets was as well. Yeah. It's it's just what it's what they do. You know, they go for the the weakest. We're and not and, and and like whatever allies protected Savile in the mm-hmm. establishment. Um, it was clear that there was some kind of profit and loss spreadsheet mm-hmm. that said no that none of the victims are worth burning Jimmy Savile for. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a very like utilitarian, not utilitarian, like like profit and loss mm-hmm. kind of thing about. Yeah. About these kind of things, yeah. On the plus side, it was because this is literally the only plus side about all the stuff with Prince Andrew because he's not, he's, he might get punished eventually, maybe, I doubt it. No, but, never, never. He's never going to see the inside of a prison or a court. Had, um, it was on Good Morning Britain, the lady Colin something, I can't remember her surname. Oh, yeah. But she was like, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't a paedophile. He was, he was, a, he was sent to prison for soliciting Please. prostitution from a minor. It's very different. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> Oh my god! You think it's different because you think because he paid? 
People joke about, oh yeah, the same old internet jokes, you know, oh I'm in a phobophile, I'm yeah. a pedophile, and it's yeah. like, no, this eighty year old duchess yeah. just made exactly the same yeah. argument. And there were people phoning up to LBC who were like, um, like proper royally people, and they're just bizarre. <laughs> like hardcore monarchists are baffling. Very hardcore ones are, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just really just. Oh. There was a beautiful. There, there was one final uh, thing I wanted to mention about the. Um, so he said that on the day that he's accused of sexually assaulting um, one of his victims, I believe there's two or three now that have come forward. Yeah. But the original, uh, uh, the woman, one who's the woman who's um, doing an interview on Panorama as well. Yes, coming. yeah. Um, he said he couldn't possibly have been there. He couldn't have been in London because he was at a Pizza Express in Woking mm-hmm. at his daughter's birthday party. And he said that was I remember the that that was friends his daughter's friends' birthday party, something like that. And he said it was notable because I wouldn't usually go to a Pizza Express. No, he didn't say that. A Pizza Express in Woking. Yeah. Whereas no, he know, did. He said that I wouldn't usually be in a. P- I, I've never been in a Pizza Express before, and I no, he didn't say in- Pizza Express. It was Pizza Express in Woking. In Woking, because uh, the thing is, he's like Sandringham. That's San- North, that's, North. No, that's not Sandringham. I'm um, Sandhurst, which is like round the mm. corner. Like, and they're around there a lot. But I just love. It's like like I've been through Woking. I get it, <laughs> but it's also it's such a it's another baffling lie. Well, because no. it's going to be found out really so, quickly. So it's a lie, but it does have a really charming theoretical okay. connection, right? Okay. Pizza Express, like I think it was Tom Wyman or Tom Gann, you used to talk about, like uh, Pizza Express was the ultimate Blairite restaurant. All right. Right? Uh, it was um, kind of commodified bourgeois taste from the 70s, repackaged to a new middle class mm-hmm. that could achieve, could not just achieve like material luxury but could achieve sophistication and taste mm-hmm. along with it and it was prepackaged safe and ready for consumption now prince andrew his one of his main uh, like accusations of corruption comes from his dealings with the leader of kazakhstan mm-hmm. which uh, tony blair has also been accused yep. of um, he was paid something like 3 million 3 to 6 million dollars to re like his company was paid that much to rebrand the kazakhstani dictator's uh, yeah, image I that. yeah and I just think it's it's kind of ironic that, like, grimly ironic that the decade that kind of started with Pizza Express ends with Pizza <laughs> Express and Kazakhstani autocrats. It is a bit odd. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, on to more, I would say mundane, but uh, given the response, <laughs> it's, it's not mundane at all. Um, Labour announced, pre-announced one of their main policy planks this week. Yeah. which would be to provide free broadband, fibre broadband, to every home and business in the UK. Uh, it would involve bringing parts of BT, mainly BT Openreach, which is their broadband division that was mm-hmm. uh, spun off, um, into public ownership in order to roll out full fibre internet connections, providing fast and free broadband for all. It would involve a new unitary tax on multinationals, uh, such as Amazon, Google, things like people like that, and a proposed charter of digital rights to protect against surveillance. Um, The response to this was this year's hospital car parks. Yeah. We were waiting for it. We knew it would be somewhere. They've only Mm -hmm. released the manifesto today. We've had a look at it. I think we'll probably cover that next week. But this particular policy, Mm -hmm. for such a... Oh yeah, no, that's that's perfect. I mean, at the very thing. least, it's putting out fibre broadband to, well, to everywhere in the country. It's like, even if you live in if if you don't if you live in a place that has broadband, you know someone who lives in a place that still doesn't. 
Yeah. And the reason they don't is because there's no money in it. Yeah. It, it combines that... The, the, the response to it was just the same old old, yeah. old people asking why they should pay for a universal service when mm-hmm. they're perfectly happy on, you know, 600k a year. Yeah. Stuck shit like that. And it reminded me of nothing more, especially in its more, um, like, extreme moments, the reaction to this, the more extreme reactions. It did remind me of, you know, when Helen Lewis, um, when when uh, Corbyn said that uh, there was a poet and a painter oh, yeah. in everybody, or a, a book or a painting yeah. in everybody, um, and Helen Lewis tweeted saying, like, uh, oh, don't encourage them. Yeah. And it's that same kind of, like exclusion, exclusivity. It happened again today um, with um because he ended his speech with a Pablo Neruda quote, and a load of people were like, "Oh my god!" Absolutely, yeah, absolutely perfect every time. Like fairly standard twentieth century canon, mm. and oh no, everyone loses their mind. Yep, because it wasn't Shakespeare, mm. and because if it was Shakespeare or if it was Greek. Mm-hmm. Then he would be lauded at. Well, no, he wouldn't. But you know, if a tour, if when, if, when if Boris, and when Boris, when does Boris it, misquotes yeah. an ancient Greek, everyone's like, "Oh, he's so smart." Um, like like even Krishna Krishna Guru Murthy, who usually I don't remember him getting all up in people's grills about certain things. I haven't remembered. He's certainly not the worst offender of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he tweeted two questions to fans of Labour broadband policy: Why is fibre better quicker than five G? Why should I get free board broadband when I'm happily paying for it right now? And when somebody responded to, um, uh, well, why you know why should you get, um, why why you know why why should I not get free food? Mm-hmm. You know you still need to eat. He said that's a silly comparison. I'm asking about the argument for universality. I can't just rock up at any food bank and get free food. I'd usually, with some exceptions, have to be referred based on my need. <laughs> it's like yeah, you've just made your own argument. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. That if it's available to everybody, not only do you cut down on a lot of selective kind of bureaucracy around that and all of the social effects that spiral out from being tarred as poor, yeah. you it's cheaper. It's yeah. fucking cheaper. Well, it's, um, you wouldn't have to pay that much. Internet is a necessity now. Yeah. 100%. It, I think probably we were one of the last age groups that it wasn't a necessity in school that you could just uh, make it away 100%. with? 100%. I didn't but get like, dial-up until I was about 14, I think. Yeah, but like um, with my kid, her GCSE stuff and her A-level stuff, um, she needed an internet connection to submit that stuff. Yeah, you... So, um, like, if you don't have internet, then that's... Universal credit requires you to log yeah, on to exactly. their site exactly. and input your details, and, yeah. and, and that's how that's how you interact with the government on that way, because they've cut everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's the thing. How they've, cut, they've cut... They don't like having people. This is a lot cheaper. Yeah. How else... Have, like, when the privatised bin service have broken bins in the past... For complain about my bins again. Um, but when they've broken my bins in the past... Who do I complain to? Do I phone up? Do I have a number to phone? No. no. I have to go on the internet and do the weird... You have to do the form. contact... The, the, the most hated part of any internet interaction, the contact us. Yes. Whether that's that little chat window in the corner of B&Q, hmm. or just sending, an, sending a message that's essentially an email, yeah. but you will never get a response. No, you will never get a response. <laughs> I mean, people raised the, the cost of it, and obviously, like, yeah, sure, let's go through that. They did. Mm-hmm. Um... 
John McDonnell, I was listening to an interview with John McDonnell, he estimates there'll be about £50 billion pounds worth of uh, benefits, of, of productivity benefits okay. that would come out of this. And they reckon it will cost about £20 billion okay. to, uh, to roll out, to bring into public ownership mm-hmm. and roll out. Um, there's the usual kind of, oh, you'll get caught up in legal battles mm-hmm. with the uh, shareholders mm-hmm. because they won't be happy about the way that you've been, that you've uh, you've bought their shares or mm-hmm. you've, they've divested their shares. Um just to point out, BT's biggest shareholder is Deutsche Telekom, mm-hmm. right? Deutsche Telekom was another former private, a privatized former state um, mm-hmm. broadcaster. In the similar way to the GPO, which was the post office and yeah. telecoms, it was the same as that for um, for uh, Germany, for West Germany. As of t- November 2019, the German government owns a 14.5% stake in Deutsche Telekom and another 17.4% through the government bank yeah. of Germany. It's another state-owned thing. I don't want to go on about this like foreigners owning British assets. I don't really like... That's not the angle here. Well, no, I don't care. The angle angle is the fact that it's a state-owned... Yeah. A state-owned thing. Yeah. And at some point, you have to actually... If you're going to ever improve any of these utilities and actually get them to do what is needed from them, you're going to have to actually take these interests head-on. Do we think that there's going to be a five-year actually radical Labour government without them taking on at least one group of shareholders. Exactly. If they don't take on any shareholders through the... If they get in, mm-hmm. if they get in with a majority, and they do not take on at least one group of shareholders, they won't be doing anything. Yeah, exactly. They'll have failed. Yeah. At some point, these battles are not something to be avoided, mm-hmm. which, of course, the people proposing these things absolutely are on the shareholder side and want to yeah. scare them off, scare the government off from any potential costs mm-hmm. um, of, of actually taking them on. And, like... Like there were there were a number of articles in the Guardian um, straight after it saying, who really needs fibre broadband? Everybody. Do we really need? It's like especially the unemployed. It's a, it's becoming the standard way of accessing the internet. I think they mentioned like South Korea have like ninety five percent fibre broadband coverage, mm-hmm. and yeah. the UK has around eight percent. A coverage of fibre broadband. I don't know it. Well, uh, actually, I may do. In you- my new house, I may do. Um, you could have had it in the last one as well, but you can you can offer to get it installed. But um, yeah, I have it installed. But um, yeah. but what I found interesting about this as well is like the in why I liken it to the hospital car parks thing mm. is because it's not the same order of thing, but the response has been the kind of same order of of the the, the same order of response has been greeted to this. The, yeah, it? yeah, it's been greeted with the same response. Yeah, um, and. The weirdest thing, and the reason why it leaps out so strongly, mm-hmm. is that the theme of the last 10 years, since the financial crunch and just, just before that, has been techno-utopianism, yep. tech-boosterism. It is the single positive future mm-hmm. we have been allowed to look forward to. Mm-hmm. It is fully ideological. Um, and, you know, deliberately so, because of the tech industry's well-known practices around working hours and payment and you know financialized pliable low-cost working Mm -hmm. practices and all that kind of stuff um their weightless attitude to tax it's in many ways the perfect financialized neoliberal business yeah and every few years like you'll have a book or an article come out was like this idea it will save the world it will be a focus on ai or a focus on vr or uh, a new particular like type of computing that will that will be the way out of having to change, actually address our social relations. Mm-hmm. You can just adopt a, a social relation instead of a, a technological relation rather than a social one. 
you can see it with climate change is the main one at the moment. You know, every reactionary position on climate change that accepts climate change as a thing says, oh, don't worry, we'll tech our way out of it. Yeah. Despite the increasing signs that we are not going to just tech our way out of it. It's fine, because you can get electric cars by making sure that you have cheap access to lithium by being supportive of a coup in Bolivia. <laughs> it's fine. That's just how, it's just, you know, that's it's fine. Just, Nothing bad's going to happen. Look, look, guys, just hold on. I've got this new lightweight form of plastic that is going to completely cut out the fossil fuels companies <laughs> without even having to take them on. We don't, they'll just fade away. They, they won't spend billions of pounds either suppressing it <laughs> or shoving it out of the market that we insist on upholding for some reason. Um, like, you swear, I swear this like tech revolution, the thing that's going to finally break the cycle of inequality and poverty that's going to actually like avoid us having a communist revolution. I swear this tech revolution has been coming for like at least 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it's important that they call it a revolution because, you know, that's actual changes in the way that we think rather than this increasing entrenched, uh, rotting thing that we have now. Hmm. Um, and then it hits you like when you see something like free broadband, who the fuck needs free broadband? Yeah. The people that are proposing this, the tech boosters, the people who have put all of their faith as this, their only, the only allowable utopian vision, the free market Singapore people, mm -hmm. the Nordic social democracy people, all of those people, they're actually assured that the rest of us aren't coming along with them on mm -hmm. this ride. If they believe in this utopia and they're having a go at, you know, this free broadband scheme, it's like, oh no, did you think, did you think this was for you? No. Did you think that you were coming along with us on our spaceships and our cryopods yeah. and our like amazing like uh, environmentally controlled habitat domes? <laughs> You're not going to be hooked up to our our beautiful magic VR. Not you <laughs> in like Northwest Wales. How dare you think you're going to come there? Or you who just lives in an Essex village? Yeah, because I bet you there's like Essex villages like that are probably there's probably places that are within that I walk through with the dog that don't have as don't have broadband. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so particularly revealing in the British context as well, because it's when everyone starts talking about what people need. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, fuck any, like, Maslow hierarchy of needs shit mm -hmm. or anything like that. They may, they are, they're making plans for what you're going to need when the shit actually hits the fan. Whether it's slow or whether it's one big event, mm. they're actually trying to induce you to say that you don't need the same things as they need. You are yeah. a different a different order of humanity that can survive on on far less. Mm -hmm. You you really don't need that. No one outside their own their no one outside their own class needs fast broadband for anything but fun. Mm -hmm. That's the the a big one. Um and any like novel possibilities that say having broadband access might grant to the entirety of the, of the British public any new possibilities that might be found to, in a ways of using this they're not going to come from the hoi polloi. Mm. They're only going to come from them, yeah. the, the special tech priests. <laughs> and it's just, you know, what they think of... It's, it's just, it was just all so revealing, the fact that, that they have such a bad estimation of how people live, mm -hmm. but such a good estimation of how people should live. Yeah. It's fucked up. Mm -hmm. Okay, our final topic for today. Uh, we were going to talk about the leaders' debates. Those happened our last night. Well, the first night. one happened. On, first one. The first one happened on Tuesday. Yes. Um, there's another one happening soon where uh, so this Boris has already pulled out. This was the, <laughs> so there was the there's the ITV debate. Yeah. Which was uh, Boris versus Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Um, 
Boris Johnson versus Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, Joe Swinson and the Lib Dems sued. And the to, SNP did. And the SNP sued to get on it, and it was denied. It yep. was just a leader debate. There's going to be a seven-person debate on the BBC, I think, at the weekend. Mm-hmm. And then there was going to be a Channel 4 debate, another one between uh, just Johnson and Corbyn, and Cor- uh, Johnson won't turn up. Yeah. So that might not go ahead. Yeah. Um, but this one was it was interesting. Um, I watched it all in one sitting. I actually thought it was like a much easier watch than I thought it was going to be. I am not usually allowed to watch political TV when my partner is in the room because mm. I get to head up. <laughs> but in this on this occasion, uh, it f- actually felt kind of relaxing. Yeah, it was fine to be in the to be in the presence <laughs> of such political greats. Like it was, yeah, it was a kind of it was kind of an odd one though, because um, yeah. very few they did. It's like there were so many stupid questions. Like there, yeah. there was there was a couple of bits that really wound me up. There was like the handshake, like will you make a pledge to be kind oh, online, man, um, and that just wound me up. And then like at the end with the fucking, what would you get them for a present? Or would you put them yeah, under the there's tree? Always a, like, oh, there's God's a couple sake. of stupid ones. It's like, I, the, the first thing I thought when it came on was like, oh Christ, there's an audience. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why it always necessitates an audience. Why there's this need for like instant approval or disapproval from what has to be a select group. Mm-hmm. You see it every week on on um, Question Time, mm-hmm. how there are a ton of plants in there. Mm-hmm. No human being, no, no person who is just divorced from the political process in the way that you would imagine an audience in Stoke mm-hmm. is going to be, um, say, phrases a question in that way. Unless they're all just massive news junkies in every city all the time, mm-hmm. they don't phrase questions in that way. Um, and like, I don't understand what is so harmful about just having a straight-up head-to-head with like an informed moderator. No, you just want... What you want is you want them like they were in the seventies, where they've got like glass of wine on no, the table I, and they're I want, smoking. I want the uh, the boring show from The Simpsons. It's like <laughs> oh, it's just, um, the political roundtable. I'm here with the AFL CIO president, Mr. Yeah. President. Is there a staffing crisis in America today? <laughs> well, it depends what you mean by crisis. That's what I want. Yeah, actually, it would have been better <laughs> if it was in the seventies style with like drinks, because Boris does drink and Jeremy Corbyn is a teetotaler. Yeah. So we would have been able to see Boris get progressively worse and then stop <laughs> just repeating the same lines that he'd obviously been heavily coached into and he would have lost his temper quicker. Secondly, right, mm. we know from wrestling mm-hmm. that the most skillful way of performing is in an empty arena match. That's why everybody loves arena. that's why everybody loves Mankind versus Rock in the empty arena match. Much more than they love Stone Cold versus The Rock at WrestleMania X7. It's a much better match because they have to work for it. They can't leech off the crowd. Yeah. So much better. Yeah, there were there were a number of <laughs> there were a number of questions that were kind of just very much like sops to civility. Hmm. You know, yeah, making the pledge to be. Will you right here and now make a pledge to be kind? It's what does that mean? It means nothing. What like, does that mean? And that that's I mean actually I thought some of the questions were definitely like totally all right. Yeah. Um, the one uh, like a lot of the the general questions I think set by the moderator and and like a couple from the the selected people mm. who were giving questions were were fine as well. But the ones that were like um, with the uh, the British political system so degraded, please tell me how can we trust you? 
Yeah. What? Actually, no, How was... are you going to repair trust in the British system? It's like, well, that was, that that's was... not really a question. That's a comment. Yeah. Although that, I did like that because then um, people laughed at Boris. Yeah. Because well, are you lying about Brexit? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, look, I just answered your question. It's the same fucking thing you get on Question Time every week. It's a particular framing mm-hmm. of question that it's like a, a like an example would be like uh, with drug arrests so high. Why should we trust you to put more police on our yeah. streets? It's like a it's the audience being indoctrinated or imbibing gotcha style newsnight journalism yeah. to and another wrestling term put themselves over. Yeah. It's like this was the woman who pinned down Boris Johnson yeah. on it's like you didn't pin down anything. No. You wasted a load of time. In an other way, when actually if you answered a question, you could have learned what he thought mm-hmm. and he could have put it there. Aside from the fact that all of these politicians are already really well versed in how to not answer a question. Mm. They were never going to answer, well him specifically was never going to answer any proper questions. Like even when, like I think he slightly went off script because you could see the cogs whirring in his head when it was about the royal family. Um, oh, there and, were a load of times and, when um, he was caught on the hop. And Corbyn, you know, said that it needs improvement. Um, which I heard someone on LBC today describe as a slander, a disgusting slur against the royal family. And it's like, what? what needs improvement? Yeah. It's like, needs improvement. Do you improvement think that they're being, already. Needs improvement think... is being kind. Because um, what Bob Johnson said was that they are, the institution of the monarchy is above reproach. That was interesting because he said, I think he said it right after the, um, I want to take the British nation out of the EU, mm-hmm. um, perfect and whole. Mm-hmm. So he's using those kind of weird, like semi-religious, yeah. sanctified language about Britain. And that I think his brain must have still been whirring on that level so that it then transferred over to the royal family because they're one and the same. It was obvious... Whenever he couldn't just respond with, I've got an oven-ready Brexit deal, or <laughs> differing and delay. When he couldn't say that, then he'd suddenly like, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> I just hate, like, that. There's there are a couple of points where the uh, the audience, like, laughed or, or, or booed or something like that. Like, yeah. the most notable one was when um, Corbyn talked about climate change yeah. and said that this is a global problem. This is going to affect the world's poorest, mm. and then the worst bare-toothed fucking reactionaries. The worst. I don't know who they had in there. This is ratchet. The worst people in the world just started booing and go, "Oh no, not again!" Yeah. And it's like, a. I don't. I would. I would say it's obviously a theme of his political like uh, style that he does mention that like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's not like he bores people with it. No. It's not like that's his constant thing. And that's like kind of what what I mean about like that audience participation thing. Like I feel like it's the kind of thing that media people put in there to like reinforce this idea that they've got the vigorousness of of public debate. It's like yeah. fawning over the little people getting into being able to come out and speak truth to power or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but over very constructed situations. And, and like, it, it reminds me of nothing else as much as the weird rhetorical, like, those kind of questions, the weird rhetorical closeness to, um, oh, like, Corbyn's planning to deport Jews. Yeah. When there has never been anything close to it. No. Like, well, there's um, no relation to Simon the truth Heffer, whatsoever. Simon Heffer was on LBC, and he said that Corbyn was going to reopen Auschwitz. I mean, he doesn't have any 
he's not running for office in Poland. I would also be perhaps slightly more worried about the far-right piece of, uh, what's it called, Law and Justice Party, Mm. than I would be about a left-wing party in another country. But But it's the kind of thing that you put out there and then ask people to disprove it. Mm, It's like, well, can you prove that Jews are in, in no danger under your government? Which again, is like, it's a rhetorical thing to move from Oh, he's going to deport Jews, making that claim, then asking to prove something else mm-hmm. that's not really the same thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not as rhetorically close as a simple answer would 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 suggest. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's, yeah. it's it's nonsense and it's fucking dangerous. It's yeah. Well, it's a, you know we had that sort of um, like I think it was that it was the night of the debate where um, Rachel Riley posted her T-shirt with. Um, the picture of Jeremy Corbyn when he was pro- when he was being arrested for protesting apartheid, and she's changed his sandwich board to say Jeremy Corbyn is a racist and yeah. rather than a thing about apartheid. Yeah. Um, Choose any other picture, and you're home safe. Yeah. The th- the notable thing about Rachel Riley is that um, a- a- as much as she substitutes any kind of uh, proper sense for a kind of real off the wall viciousness mm-hmm. about the way that she conducts herself over a really fucking serious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't... She just cannot do it. She just cannot cannot get any of that right. No. She can't get the... T- she talks, talks t- constantly mm-hmm. about the tiny ticks um, in Jeremy Corbyn's, like, mannerisms that, uh, that, that tell you that he's an anti-Semite. Also, focusing solely on Corbyn as opposed to the wider Labour movement, which... You might be able to get some penetration if you were looking at it from that angle. Yeah. You might be able to get some penetration in that. But focusing on Corbyn as a person mm-hmm. just reveals how little they actually think this through and how it's driven by this this weird mania that so many people yeah. have over Corbyn as a as an individual. Yeah. You know? Um But yeah, what how did you think um Corbyn did? Um I, I would like him to get new glasses. Um, yeah, I, that that really bothered me actually. The way that they were off to the side. I yeah, think it, it's just like, it's sometimes I find it charming. I don't, I don't really, I don't really care. But I know that the thing is, you see, you see things, and you're like, I know what they're going to say. You, you know, also, you know yeah, how it's going to be taken. The, the, the worrying like, thing about being so terminally online and in mm. and in this mode of thinking yeah. is that you end up receiving all images that you get through the eyes through the eyes of someone like fucking Dan Hodges. Yeah, and you're like, well you can't do that because they'll be angry with you. And it's like, well I don't I don't really care. And I don't there's not many people I know that would care about the fact that his glasses were slightly ill fitting. But like you know for well that people are going to be angry and they people were. They were like laughing about it. It's like fucking hell. Yeah. Like you duh. I mean, I saw I, I saw people kind of um, uh, complaining that he wasn't um, assertive or aggressive enough. They, they do that all the time because either he's too aggressive. <coughs> I mean, or like left left wingers. Yeah, they, saying well, that he wasn't assertive or aggressive. Well, yeah, I would have liked. I probably would. I would have liked him to go in harder. But um, fair play, actually, when um, that person interrupted about the world's poorest people mm. suffering from climate change, Corbyn did like point and looked like he was about to nut him. <laughs> but the thing is, I would like him to go in harder but then I also know that if he did go in harder on stuff then I, that's how they would have spun it of yeah. him being aggressive grumpy Corbyn yeah it's it's because you again you're you, seeing you end yeah. up seeing it through Those, everyone else's you eyes got, you gotta play it so much more delicately because we're not playing by their rules yeah we we have a different set of rules for us compared to them yeah um and like Boris could get away with all kinds of stuff in a way that like left wingers definitely can't like I saw it today with um it was 
a Channel 4 news guy questioning Michael Gove on the amount of hospitals. That that, that hospital yeah. thing. And Michael Gove just kept on te- accusing him of being polemic and pushing a left-wing argument. Oh, he, he loves like, to... When he hasn't got an answer, he always... He's yeah. a cultural warrior guy. Yeah. But he was like... And all this guy was doing, he's like, no, I'm just checking this facts with you. Like, the BBC agree that there's a issue here that we're just trying to get you to do. And he just repeatedly does it. And then... And, like, that's... I haven't seen that get re- that get massively picked up yet. But it should... It's, it's an important thing, because they keep... They're doing that a lot this time. And, like, Everyone's the mirror from the thing. so much. But, like, um, when Corbyn said that he'd like it more if the press... Re- like actually reported on what they said, yeah. Um, and there, and then suddenly the press all suddenly go like, "How dare you imply that we are nothing but court stenographers?" It's like one of the oldest, most experienced right wing journalists has been accusing them of that for like for like the last month or two. But you know, they were, oh, it just drives me insane. It feels like this election. I've been feeling really stressed, and like it's. I'm less. Yeah. I'm less stressed now after seeing that because it's like, oh, okay, that's the the way that they're that they're happy to play it, and I'm I'm like fine with that. Mm-hmm. I think there's yeah, there's a fine line. He's obviously trying to tread a fine line between being reasonable and appearing radical and mm-hmm. all of the associated emotional states yeah. and all that. And like, I think f- as much as anything, it's a good and a bad thing. But I'm quite happy that he is not concerned with becoming epic. What do you mean? Jacob Rees-Mogg, when he lay down in the House of Commons, Mm -hmm. he did not do that because he was tired. He did because he knew it would get picked up and because he would get a moment on social media of epic Jacob Rees-Mogg or dickhead Jacob Rees-Mogg, depending on what the thing. Boris has built a a, a career on it of small little out of... Out of not character, but like small little moments of notability that yeah. get that they're they're compiling their own fucking um, highlights reel yeah. for themselves. And Corbyn doesn't seem interested in that. He's not like yeah. He's not interested in love got gotcha stuff. Yeah, um, I've liked I liked like um, after he did the um, manifesto thing today, and he did a little sixty second video. Yeah, they did yeah. in the taxi. That was good. Um, I I thought that Corbyn came across well in the debate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like he could have gone in harder, but like I said, it would have just been that would have been the story that he was aggressive and angry. Um, I thought what was really telling, and like me and you were talking when we were watching it, um, how little Johnson has, how Boris is like nothing. Yeah, he's not. He like every, people know. He, well, people who have paid attention to him have known that he's not a very good politician for a long time. Yeah. Um, but it's like with the Prince Andrew thing. It's very rare that you get to have them sat down for an hour. You don't get to see them in real time because you yeah. only get, like I say, those epic moments of media mm-hmm. worthiness, mm-hmm. which are curated and so out of your hands. But actually sitting down there and seeing them yeah. for an hour, in re- like I say, in real time, it's it's very different. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it was weird. I, I like Corbyn came across a, like maybe it's because I've been watching the. Cr- I've just binged all the Crown in like mm-hmm. three days. Yeah, um, and it's like getting up to the sixties and seventies. So mm-hmm. Harold Wilson. Mm-hmm. There was a lot about the way that Corbyn talked. It wasn't necessarily inspirational, but it was very much a harking, harking back to the days when politicians had to do things like talk about production. Yeah, they have to talk about the levels of. They have to talk about specific economic things because it's ultimately their mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. as opposed to now, which is obviously because the state has been divested of so much 
responsibility for industry and the economy generally mm-hmm. and, and it's in the free market um, they don't have to talk about that stuff anymore no. so you don't get kind of boring grey suited politicians going well of course in order to shore up our steel productivity mm-hmm. and I don't think it was boring I don't think he went into it in fine detail no. because who could in 40 seconds at a time Yeah, but there was something about that like oh yeah no he's a perfectly normal politician yeah as opposed to Boris, who looked like he had absorbed all of the lessons from New Labour onwards, mm-hmm. all of the lessons about presentation, all of the lessons, uh, the the famous like Clegmania bit mm. in that uh, debate where he called someone by their name and everyone went, "Oh my God, who remembered their name?" Yeah, um, he looked like he had absorbed all of those lessons and then was spewing them out as quickly as possible while also trying to balance a particular series of lines yeah. so he's his 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 lines are you know get brexit done unleash potential uh corbyn sturgeon yeah. uh, dither and delay all of that stuff and he was pressing them to a ridiculous degree well that's why they laughed at him at one point yeah but, Bla- but blair would have gotten away with that because he actually could talk and could balance yeah. those things with the rhetorical ability to hold himself back Boris can't. It was like he was just remembering everything, all the ticks that Boris, mm. Clegg, Cameron, all of them had done and was just spewing them out one after another. Mm. He there's, was a um, neoliberal completely out of control. Yeah, there's um, the only one who I see doing it well now, that thing that is unbearable to watch. Yeah, is, um, it's annoying, but it's yeah. effective. But um, it was effective. Um, <clears throat> Sadiq Khan does it really well. Yes. And like yeah. you hear him on LBC, he does his like his monthly phone in. And there's a couple of ticks that he has, and there's a couple of like ways he does it, which is just they drive me and my wife like quite mad. Where he says, like, um he repeats their first name. Um, as you know, yeah, I'm sure you'll agree. Yeah. And it's things like that, and it's just like, oh, you when they're caught, idiot. when they're caught, it's always um because, as I said, I believe it's the right thing to do. They all, when they're doing the wrong thing, they only ever tell you how much they thought it was the right thing to do. It's been interesting to see just how bad this current crop of them are, though. Like that Sam Guimar yeah. on LBC, oh, where man. you could see like he was already and he had all of his stuff and he was like, "I'm gonna be really good," and then he, like, he fell at the first hurdle. And then couldn't get back. It's like they it asked just, him. A, they asked him a question about like their main policy. How and much he, is the thing that he wrote cost? He looked like he'd revised some. He'd gone in for a job interview and he'd revised the wrong thing. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like with Boris, that was I, I, at first. I was like, oh, it's just going to be a usual like blather. And actually, ironically, he would have been more successful had he not had any particular agenda to spin. Mm-hmm. But like. He comes across as unserious and flippant all the time. Anyway, yeah. He didn't have any of that like usual spark of like. I, I, what some people call charm. I've, I've never seen it personally. Um, if you accept that like all politicians have to have a certain level of rhetorical skill, he yeah. demonstrated none of it. Because yeah. what kind of... like Did Dominic Cummings advise him? that you know Dominic Cummings, the populist genius mm-hmm. who's just... He's too far ahead in the game. He's too diabolical to outthink all of liberal the liberal intelligentsia's yeah. finest thinkers and rhetoricians. And he's able to hear people's innermost thoughts and judge the tenor of response perfectly. And that's why he told Boris to repeat the same lines three times and respond to a woman who talked about how she was a minimum wage care worker. She was in her 60s. How she was a minimum wage care worker and told her to talk about how great it was um, that the Conservatives had gotten control of corporation tax. Yeah. 
Was that re- was that really was that really what he told you to say, or did you just have a line in the back of your head <laughs> about the fact that you're keeping corporation tax either at its very low level or at you're cutting it? Mm-hmm. You had that in the back of your mind, and you thought she's talking about money. I'm going to talk about the only thing I know about our monetary policy. <laughs> it's amazing. Trump is mm. better than him. Oh yeah. Trump is miles, miles better at to be fair, doing you saw that Trump kind of thing. That, Trump's last big speech. He had, to, he had notes. Uh, to, fair he play. Notes. Trump has fallen off because obviously he's done it so many times. He's exhausted his chi. Yeah. <laughs> um, he hasn't. He he's he only got a certain. He's only got a certain amount of uh, what's it? Orgones. Yeah. <laughs> he's only got a certain amount of sexual magnetism to carry him through. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, I did really like the. Um, there was one like epic meme moment or whatever mm-hmm. when um, they ask about the Christmas presents which mm-hmm. again it could have been a very boring it's like oh, I'd get you a plant I don't know mm-hmm. I'd get you a book um, and Corbin these I was I under, as I understand it these were unrehearsed and Corbin got asked first and he goes well I know you like reading it was perfect I know you like reading I'm going to get you the Christmas Carol which is for a liberal socialist mm. it's the perfect thing to go with it's yep. national kind of nationalistic because it's yep. dickens it's established canon and it has a moral lesson of yeah. particularly about inequality and poverty yeah. it's like ah perfect and then like boris is scrambling around and goes oh shit uh well of course and he has to keep talking because yeah. he has to keep holding the, holding the conversation it's like uh i don't know dams and jam no that isn't what you said first Oh well, well yeah, no, was, no, you're right. I would, I would give you off our Brexit, our oven-ready Brexit deal. I, I, I would give you a copy of our Brexit deal. And actually, that's another thing I noticed. Quite a few times when Boris was scrambling, he echoed what Corbyn was saying. He mm. was shadowing what he was saying. Um, it was about the NHS mm-hmm. when Corbyn is asked first, and he says uh, the NHS is our most civilized institution. Yeah. It is our, you know, that kind of thing goes over to Boris and he's, he does the same kind of thing says oh NHS is so important I would never cut it I would never mm. privatise it all of that kind of stuff and he said uh, it's ve- it's very civilised it's our civil most civilised institution it's like did you just hear what he said and repeat it back to him yeah he did seem to do that and he did it the same it's like the Brexit oh he's going to give me a book so oh I'm thinking books I'm thinking books what's witty oh my Brexit deal because he was thinking on the same lines because he couldn't think without someone well also he couldn't think without having someone else in the room to Mm. react to he's not a person on his own he's a he's very spongy very um jelly like yeah there was um I think I might have seen it online but someone said like he didn't even have the intelligence to suggest like leaving him a copy of 1984 yeah, yeah, and it's like because that's like almost a layup. Yeah, because that would be the that would be the opposite thing. But of mm. course, he was so perturbed by what mm-hmm. he had been drilled to say, and it had to be a book because he couldn't think in that moment. I guarantee he couldn't think of anything but books. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And then when he finally bro- when everyone laughed and he finally broke out of it, he said, "Oh, what does Corbin like? I don't know, jam. Mm-hmm. What do I like? Dam- What's the last thing I had? Dams and jam. Yeah, perfect." Of course it is. Yeah. Because he's got no independent thought whatsoever. He's so dependent on those around him. Mm-hmm. The thing that links all these all these topics is kind of they're all they're all in some way involved with like popular communications, mm-hmm. um, popular interactions tempered by a certain level of media access, right? Mm-hmm. Prince Andrew is somebody who would only have the kind of scrutiny that he got in this interview. He would only receive that because he made a bad decision. 
he would otherwise be entirely protected from that kind of thing. We, would yep. nev- we will never get the chance to assess his claims. Everything he said in that interview will be remembered and on the record, but they will never get close to any kind of uh, judgment for them. Like he'll never, There will never be any retribution for that. Um, broadband access is bringing people into a situation where they have access to the media and the information. I'm surprised the media weren't more up for the broadband thing because it would only expand their kind of... Yeah. Their 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 papers, which need subscription access get more to survive. Clicks. They would get clicks. It mm. would happen. And the debate, again, is this flawed, pointless thing, this weird kind of theatre that we put out there where we... The entire media kind of congratulates itself for putting a normal person up in an arena that normally only they would have access to. They're yeah. in close proximity and they can ask them questions like straight on the like person to person. Um and like these like traditionally Marxists have always talked about these these kind of like uh interactions with the media in terms of like larger society, how the media, the priesthood obviously originally and then the media serves as a kind of veil. Mm-hmm. It draws a veil over over class relations. It prevents people from knowing what they're really about, what their class relations are, what their relations are to, to people around them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's this idea that it's being hidden. And I think the weird development of the last, like, I don't know, 20 years is that now nothing is hidden. Everything is everywhere. There's, there's, there's such a saturation of um, media in the average person's kind of environment that the ability to exert class power doesn't come from hiding what you're doing. It comes from flooding people with information and reinforcing a certain number of themes about a particular social reality over and over again across multiple different um, multiple different vectors. Yeah. So if you see a thing about crime, you're convinced crime is out of control. You see it on the news, you see stories about it flooding your algorithmically determined um, social media feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't bear any relation to your relation with the real world. It's it's entirely a, a... Your ideas about that are entirely formed by that media. Yeah. That interaction with that media. And when we have these opportunities to kind of get information to people through broadband, you know, allow people to participate in more meaningful ways, um, or when you get a chance to, you know, pin down someone powerful in the ways that Andrew and the debates happened. These things should exist as much as our or culture does. They should exist to problematise the, the existences of the powerful. Hmm. But they've been training for years to either avoid scrutiny entirely or to just void scrutiny so that they get scrutinised and you forget it. Sam Guimar will still be in his job tomorrow despite failing utterly. People will still vote for the Lib Dems despite seeing Sam Guimar failing utterly Mm -hmm. because there are other things going on and there's so much message out there that it's getting clouded. Brexit has been very useful for the Lib Dems precisely because that because it can drown out all of their other shittiness all of their other shitty messages that the fact that they're to the right of the Conservatives on fiscal policy right now is should be being made more of but no they'll get an increased vote or the, the you know they will get a certain percentage of the remain vote yeah. just because they're they're of the remain vote and that's an entirely media oriented thing that's not based on anything in reality mm-hmm. that's based entirely on messaging brexit hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. we all we're doing is getting messages mm-hmm. and media about the potential implications of a brexit 
Um, and like, what are you more likely to see in 2019 for like lies or, or, or bad faith arguments or just pointlessness? You know, when you see someone powerful questioned, are you going to get an appropriate reckoning? No. Are you going to get a chance at a question that has either dulled into significance or at worst, the questioner gets seized upon as some kind of undesirable element like yeah. um, Omar Salem and uh, Aman Thaka yeah. have done in the last like six months. Yeah. You ask a question and because you're a Labour activist, it gets discounted and people start ringing up your work yeah. and try chasing you around social media trying to find things. And we're constantly on the edge of like this, this, this culture war um, which is based around the, a saturated media and believing that the symbols are the only thing that matters. The alt-right only believe in the symbols that they see in the media. They don't believe in any kind of objective reality about these things. They defend symbols. It's why they defend media and films and, you know, things like uh, drinking milk or the, the phrase Bar Bar Black, like the song Bar Bar Black Sheep. Yeah. They defend those because they're, that's what they're, they only exist in this media-saturated environment. Um. And the problem with that we have with the media at the moment is because of all these blockages, like whenever you mention a free universal thing, mm-hmm. everyone gets up in arms. These blockages are symptomatic of the falling down of the challenging of certain social realities that exist in this in this media environment. Like when you get someone that laughs about the four-day week or laughs over kind of the world's poorest dying because of climate change, not linking it up to anything else and, and not realising how that impacts you, that's the thing that's going to that's gonna kill us. And, and these things, challenging these attitudes, are worthy of our, our, our consideration and our attention. Um, these are all signs that, ultimately, while the people might not take the Tory message full on board, or the Lib Dems message fully on board, they still accept and negotiate their way around to a position that accepts the Tory worldview. Yeah. The four-day week is impossible because mm-hmm. I have to be at work. Mm-hmm. That's you know you saw in the, the reaction to the four-day week, yeah. like people said, "Oh, but I need the money." Yeah, it's like, no, you'll get paid more. It's like, well, where's that money going to come from? It's like, yeah. there's people eating gold. Yeah, <laughs> it's impossible, and so much of our ability to challenge these things is locked out by our lack of control over the media, by lack of popular control over the media. I used to think it was kind of a like side issue, but like it wasn't as real or serious as other things. Mm. Um, but the past year or so has shown that getting some kind of change over communications and information, some kind of democratic control over media is a, a huge priority because Definitely. we wouldn't be feeling this way. We wouldn't be seeing our own politics yeah. through the eyes of our enemies yeah. if we did. Yeah. Uh, that's us for this week you can subscribe to us on iTunes follow us at WDT80W underscore podcast follow me at BM Bergamo follow Hugh at Town of Smashing and we'll see you next week bye bye Fighting am the least about the fighting game When 